to another episode of The Gaming Moguls, the only gaming podcast where a point salad is part of your daily balanced gaming diet. I'm your host tonight, Mark Teske, along with my millennial co-host, Mr. Jake Kleppenstein. Jake, how you doing tonight? Always wonderfully, Mark. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you very much. Jake, we're here to talk about games. You ready to do that? I cannot wait. We got an action-packed episode. Fantastic. This is actually part two of a super set we did starting last episode. And I'm excited to wrap this one up, so it should be fun. Jake, did you play anything this week? I did, but nothing I really want to talk about. So actually, we recorded after our last Wednesday, and this weekend was my birthday, and you thought I'd be able to do one of my favorite things, play games, but I didn't. I hung out with friends, and I went to a brewery, and I played two games, but three games actually, but none of them really interesting or something we need to talk to. I played Jaipur, a little set collection game. It's two-player only. I played a little Telestrations, which is always a hoot and a holler with a big group. And we also played a little bit of Nine Tiles, me and Anna. And I don't know if you actually knew this, Mark, but Anna's really good at Nine Tiles. I was very proud. Is she? She held her own. That's crazy. I still have not had the opportunity to play any game of any type with Anna. She exists, I promise. She just... Oh, it's I know. Convenient. I've met her on numerous occasions. Right. Every night that we have Wednesday games, it seems like she has some other social things. So this Wednesday, she's actually going out with some friends from work. So she should have fun. But why don't we talk about something a little more interesting? How about games we're trying to get played? But I have a quick little brief side note before we do that. All right. Hit me. Last couple episodes, we talked about maybe making some T-shirts for the gaming moguls. And we have heard enough people that have actually responded that we're actually going to go through with it. If you are not someone who emailed me and would like to say you're interested, please do. Uh, My email is jake at gamingmoguls.com. And I promise you that design effort is moving forward as we speak. Today, we talked both about logos and about T-shirt selection, and promise you, it'll be great by the time we uh, both agree on something. I do have a quick side note. Anna nearly scared the hell out of me. She sneaked into my office, and I record in the complete darkness, because that's a normal thing to do. Sure, why not? She slipped me a sheet of paper that says, Anna kicked my ass in Jaipur, which she did. I don't understand <laughs> it. She's so much better than me. So, thanks, son. You are ready to be a married man, Jake. No, there there, there you go. She did, and that's true. I don't understand it. I cannot beat her at Jaipur. Any strategy tips or anything, that'd be well appreciated. Yeah, I can't beat my wife at games either, so you're ready to be married. Congratulations. There you go. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate <laughs> it. So. What are you trying to get played this week, buddy? Well, you know, for some reason, there's been a lot of conversations uh, on the Internet lately that I've been part of that involve one of my absolute favorite games. And I'd say one of my family's favorite games. It's a game by one of the most crazily diverse designers out there in board gaming. It's Mr. Vlada Chilvatl, and he created a pair of games called Dungeon Lords and Dungeon Pets a few years ago. And we're a big fan of Dungeon Pets. It's an interesting game that's actually fairly heavy, but it's got the cutest darn theme of raising these little fantasy monsters and trying to grow them up and keep them fed and happy until you can have a big pet show at the end of each turn. And then you try to sell them off to different buyers as they come by. And each buyer is looking for specific attributes, like one that uh, eats a lot of meat or another one that poops a lot or something like that. And so you're trying to look ahead a couple of turns get those monsters in place, take care of them until they get big enough to sell, and then sell them for maximum profit. It's a super amount of fun. There's been a lot of discussion lately. Turns out there's a lot of fans for this game, that there's a lot of people that really like this game. And I don't know why we haven't played it in a really long time. So all those things coming together, you and me need to play this sometime soon. And I think this is a game we should talk about sometime soon. Absolutely. That's Dungeon Pets by Vlada Chavadl and Czech Games Edition. Yeah, I've always seen it. I, I think you took it out once to show someone the little poop meeples that we talked about 
at the last yeah. uh, in the last episode, but I don't think I've actually even seen it set up. Sure. I don't even think I've been adjacent to it. It's got a lot of parts. I mean, it is a pretty busy setup. There's a lot of little things and little meeples and little cubes and all kinds of stuff all over the place. And if you add the expansion to it, the Dark Alleys expansion, which I have as well, it really gets busy. Quick side note about the Dark Alleys expansion in regards to a conversation I had participated in this week. Um, We have played that a few times as well. I would say it makes it wider, but not necessarily deeper. I think if this is a game you're looking at, just the base game is plenty. Got it. Makes sense. How about you, Jake? What are you looking at playing? So I got a whole bunch of times I'm going to play games this weekend. We're actually heading up north to my cabin, so it's a kind of varied list. The number one thing I think we're going to play tomorrow is 18 Scandinavia. Awesome. As I said previously, it was my birthday on Saturday, so I thought I'd treat myself to a game, and I bought 18 Scandinavia. So it's railroading under the Northern Lights, I believe is the actual little tagline of it, but it's an 18xx game set in Scandinavia. It plays two to four players, which is a weird amount of players for an 18xx game. Usually they're three to five or six. So I'm assuming this is a fairly small map. Yes, very small. Okay. And it is supposed to take like two to three hours will be the proof of that. But the plan is to play 18 Scandinavia with a friend of ours, Brent, who's kind of new to the whole system and he's playing a game online with us. So we thought we'd just show him a little bit more of trains before he deep dives into it. Sounds fun. So I don't know if you'll you'll be able to sneak in with us, but we'll see. Yeah, I will certainly try on that one. And we usually have a couple of tables and, you know, it's a matter of who wants to play what and how who needs players for what and which table we're ending at, whether I can join in or not. So we'll see. I know a couple other games that I'm going to bring along this week. I'm going to try to get Root played again if there's a chance that you and I could get in and play that one. I know that's one that you and I would both like to play again sometime soon, and I know you've had a special interest in playing war games lately, so getting Root out and playing it would be great. Also, I now have the expansion to Root, so we get the chance to play River Folk and Lizard People, which, by the way, apparently, by what I've read, have really been helped by the rules updates to that. They recently came out with some rules updates that freshened up the rules and balanced them a little better. Rumor was that the lizard folk in the expansion were a little too nerfed, and the rules updates that balanced everything out really gave them a shot in the arm, and they're a lot more fun to play. So I'm anxious to give that a shot sometime soon. Cool. Another one I'm interested in trying to get to be played soon is Commands and Colors. Kind of along the line of me being more interested in war-style games, which Root, I'm sure we'll get an email saying that Root is not a war game. I don't know. It's it's war-ish. Commands and Colors is very similar to Memoir 44. It's kind of the whole system. I think it's based on an original game that the name is escaping me right now, but IP500 Commands and Colors Ancient, which is the Romans and the Carthaginians, I believe. And I'm going to sticker them all up this weekend, hopefully recruiting some friends to help me while we're up at the cabin and maybe playing a couple of scenarios or two, either early in the morning or late at night when everybody's either going to sleep or just hanging out. Interesting. I'm, I'm dying to know what you think of it. I don't personally know what to think of war games. I haven't really played them yet at all. About the only war game I've played, aside from perhaps Root, is Memoir 44, and that's a pretty light game. So I don't know that that really counts as a war game, quote unquote. But, you know, I I do enjoy that one a bit. Well, we've also played Twilight Struggle. That's a favorite of both of ours. Is that a war game, though? See, that's the whole question is... I don't think it is. We know Euro games, and I think recently we are starting to get to know 18xx game and kind of financial-based games. We know small box games pretty well, and we have people that we're close with that know co-op games pretty well. That's something they're very interested in. We know that space. That's kind of our domain, right? 
we don't know much about war games at all. And I don't even have a friend who can like walk me through and be my guide. Yeah. So well, I don't know. Maybe maybe that does count as a war game. I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I don't get it. I, I'm, I'm excited to learn this year. Yeah. Case in point, I remember when GMT does their annual sale. I remember going on their website and going, oh, this is going to be awesome. What is out there? And I remember looking through there just thinking, I, I don't even know where to start with this. I don't know any of these games. I don't recognize any of these games. At the risk of losing a lot of cred, I finally walked out of there, kind of shrugged and went, oh, hey, sweet. 1846. Neat. <laughs> that was about it. Well, yeah, I've done the same thing. And I've played Coin, which is interesting, a, a coin game. I've played the Cuba Libre one. And I'd like to play that more often, but I just don't know this world. So my goal for 2019 is to at least figure out whether or not war games are for me and give them a good shake. Maybe bring those to some people. I'm not going to force anybody to playing them, but it's something I'm going to get into this year. So I'm going to try to do that through Commands and Colors, which is similar to Memoir 44, I believe. Well, and plain and simple, one of the challenges with that always is going to be the fact that we have some players in our group that have a different gaming personality than we do. There's a couple players that they like playing co-ops and they like playing Euros and that's it. So getting them to play financial games and or war games and or something that's outside of that spectrum, probably not going to happen. Well, and you've also expressed to me you're not that interested in war type games. Again, we don't know really whether or not you like them, but, you know, I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know whether I even to know. I don't I don't know to know. And. (laughs) I do know that I'm not giantly awesome at dudes on a map game. That's never been my favorite thing. Right. But the dudes on a map games I've played have always been more Euro-y style. Yeah, like where, where does that cross-pollinate or, with yeah, war yeah. games? Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, I'm going to give war games, Hex Encounter, Chit, and maybe some block war games a good shake, a fair shake, Mark. Sounds great. Something that is really, really not a war game and couldn't be farther from a war game. I'm excited to give another world a Gugong this week because I think that's one that has a high potential to get to the table. It's just it looks so beautiful sitting there. And uh, I'm just fired up about playing it again. I've done miserably the first couple times I've played it. And I think that uh, there's a good chance I could play that out and get it taught this week to some new people. My final two I'd like to get played this week are Leaving Earth. I'd like to play that with some of my friends who are up at the cabin with me. I think it's a kind of low, slow kind of hangout while drinking some beers, maybe in the morning drinking coffee and just kind of chatting while also doing this game and thinking and doing math so you can enjoy the downtime will be really fun. Mm -hmm. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. Look into it. And then finally, the other game I'm really hoping we can play sometime soon. This is the one I'd like to play on Wednesday would be Yokohama. Oh, I'd be down for that for sure. We haven't played it in so long. I mean, and it's such a good Euro game. And I just, oh, it's so fun. And we both have our deluxified editions and I haven't even used the upgraded tokens yet or the upgraded coins yet. Pardon me. I have used the tokens. We'll have to see. I have had a chance to play this a few times recently with my family. I taught my family sometime, oh, last summer, last fall. And we played it several times in pretty short order. And I proceeded to get annihilated by my (laughs) wife all of those times. (laughs) Uh, that frustrates me because I actually consider myself to be pretty good at Yokohama. So, yeah, I would really like to play that again sometime soon. Right. Yeah, we got to get to the table soon. Sounds great. So another thing that I'm trying to be better at as trying to improve myself, it's kind of interesting. These are almost like February New Year's resolutions, but <laughs> sure. I want to be better at Board Game Geek. So I've always used Board Game Geek more as a database, not really as a forum. Um, I would browse things on Reddit to get information or I'd listen to podcasts or I'd watch media people, whatever, try to figure out the board game world. But no, not anymore. I'm going to use the board game geek to its fullest effect or at least attempt to. So if you have any great tips for board game geek or anything, please let me know. 
My username on Board Game Geek is Feral Ferrets. You can see all of our stuff there. But yeah, I'm going to try to get better at it. And mine is T3SK3Y. That's Teskey with the threes replacing the E's. So elite. So elite. So elite speak, Mark. That's so cool. <laughs> totally. The thing is, I'm elite OG, though. So I. <laughs> there you go. I, I like live the computer thing like when people actually did talk like that. Gross. So, yeah, I know. It was weird. Weird time. That was back in the like late 80s, early 90s. But that was the thing. There you so go. that's a crazy rabbit hole you've decided to sign up for, Jake. There, the more I look into Board Game <laughs> Geek, the farther down you go. Man, there's a bunch of crazy stuff inside there. I know. There's just so much utility. And I mean, like just learning some of the things. So I now learned you can subscribe to games that you're interested in and it'll notify you whenever certain games will be put up for sale so for example let's say i'm looking into a copy of 2048 i believe that's the name of it whatever the 18xx game that's set in space and if you're interested in that one and a copy may pop up online i've now subscribed so there's an ebay one or through the board game geek market i'll be notified which is neat yeah i've subscribed to games already and what i do is i typically subscribe to games that i already own rather than games that i'm looking at getting so if there's a rules question that pops up or if what i'm mostly interested in is if somebody uploads a new file and we'll talk a little bit about some of these useful files in a minute if somebody uploads a new 3d printed organizer or token piece for the game or whatever That'll show up in the files section of Board Game Geek under that game, and I'll get notified for it when it pops up. So that's what I've used it for. I've never thought to use it for games that I'm interested in buying. Right. So it'll be interesting. I'm I'm excited to see, talk to you in maybe four or five months after I've had some time to kind of actually dig into Board Game Geek more as a forum versus just a database. And yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what I actually keep on holding on to, because I know you can toggle whatever you want for every game. So maybe I'll subscribe to maybe like to my I subscribe to all my top five or top ten games pretty much. I subscribe to all the games I give tens to. I'm probably subscribed to somewhere around 20 or 30 games. So if I'm looking at my inbox, it's something close to a thousand and that's mostly forum posts. So I need to go and do a little cleanup. Absolutely. So speaking of things that we're looking forward to this year, why don't we talk about our top five games that are coming out this year? Because there's so much cool stuff that's been announced. Yeah, for sure. When we did our looking forward into 2019 episode at the end of the year, Not a lot of this stuff had really been talked about yet. There's a few of these things that we had already committed to via Kickstarter and so forth. But now that 2019 is shaping up a little bit more and some of the big releases are being announced and thrown out there into the world, we're getting pretty excited about some of these things and wanted to take a few minutes and just share with you our thoughts on some of the things coming up that we're personally excited about. Let's do it. So we both said we'd do this as a top five, and I believe we both have six of them. So do we want to give our quick little honorable <laughs> mentions first? Yeah. So, yeah, that's exactly right. I think that I think it's really a top five and we each have an honorable mention or a pie in the sky. This doesn't wish count. Or something like yeah, that. it's it's weird. Yeah. So let's start with that one and work outwards from there. So my number one wish list item is one that I think is on a lot of 18xx players wish lists. And this is probably not one of the games that most people are thinking of. But I have been told by a few people that there's a chance that this is aka air quotes coming. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's 2019. I don't know if it's 2020. I don't know what format that's in. I don't know anything. 
But I have been told by a few people that there is a potential reprint of 1880 China coming down the road. And that game is super hard to get. and super cool. So, boy, I hope that comes to fruition. So that's a that's my wish list item for 2019 that Lonnie Orgler and Fox in the Box or Double O or whichever company he decides to put that out through gets off the can and decides to publish 1880 China. I would be in for it. It would sit on my shelf o train games oh 100 percent. yeah that's one i would be super excited about so that's my uh kind of looking way down the line and just hoping on a rumor speaking of hoping on a rumor this this is funny so that's a great tie-in um i have an 18xx game that i actually purchased or pre-ordered put into the queue oh i know where this is going <laughs> yeah so <laughs> or not going as the case yeah, may that's, be. that's exactly how it is a lot of these 18xx games are originally published by a company called deep thought games the individual who was doing Deep Thought Games kind of stopped doing it. All these games, for the most part, hand manufactured. So they are actually like you print out the little sheet of paper and then you laminate it and you cut it out. Look back at our previous episodes about PNP printing and playing games, but they kind of do every game one at a time ish. They actually manufacture it. The guy who's actually publishing it. So he doesn't do it anymore. So there's been two people who have stepped up to kind of take over the catalog and actually publish it because I believe the wait list for a Deep Thought Games thing is like eight years or something stupid at this point in time like and he hasn't made any in a couple of years so there's no chance that queue is getting any smaller no for sure there's two companies that have done that there's all aboard games who publishes some games that are under the all aboard name and he also manufactures some games that are from the deep thought games catalog and we love all aboard games we have a whole bunch of their games we really like scott he lives close to us so We've actually played with him before. He's a really, really nice guy. Well, and you even have seen Scott like within the past uh, 24 or 48 hours. Yeah, I ended up picking up. Yeah, (laughs) I picked up my copy. By the way, we're talking about Scott Peterson from All Aboard Games. Right. Actually just lives in the next little burg right next to where I live. Absolutely. So I bought 18 Scandinavia from the other day and yacked for a bit with him. It was nice seeing him. But the other half, probably actually it's the lion's share of the catalog, went to a guy called or an organization called Golden Spike Games. And so right in, I think, September. Yeah, it was end of September because early October is when I got the confirmation email. It's been a minute for sure. I bought a game that's an 18xx game that's set in our neck of the woods right in the upper Midwest. So it goes all the way down to Missouri, I believe, and all the way up north to the Iron Range in Minnesota. And so we were really excited about it. We ended up playing it online with some great people that we met um, online. And I was like, sweet, we're going to play it online once. I don't want to run it back. I I know I'm going to get it in person in a couple of months and it'll be great. I was going to hope I was going to get it by February. That passed. There's no way. I'm honestly just hoping that I get it in 2019. That's my wish list. (laughs) I would like to own the game that I have put myself into the queue. And he is working on it. He's doing a good job of actually updating people that the queue is getting smaller. But I just want my train game about 1850, you know, and I won. It's set in Minnesota. I was James J. Hill. I had all those little companies. It was great. Please. (laughs) You know, speaking of all aboard games and wish list, I'm going to throw one that's not even on the list here that is set to come out in 2019. I'm pretty geeked about getting 18 Chesapeake for real and published out there. How about you, Jake? Absolutely. I originally owned it and we sent it to a friend for, well, you sent it to a friend for Secret Santa. <laughs> oh, Jake, you're outing me right oh, now. I Come know. on, I've man. I've outed you a couple of times now. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm pretty sure he already knows who it is. But that copy of 18 Chesapeake now is on the other side of the planet. Yeah, it's down in Australia. I'm just drilling all the way through the earth. All right. So what's your number five actually looking forward to game <laughs> this year, Mark? Okay. For real. 
All right, let's look at uh, let's look at the top five games that Jake and I are really looking forward to coming out and or obtaining during 2019. So my number five is a game from a series that I'm going to fess I know very little about, but I'm interested in learning about it. And it's also helped by the fact that it's published by a guy who at least part time hangs his hat right here in the Twin Cities. That guy is Cole Worley. And the game that we're talking about is PAX Premier, by the way. This game looks awesome, too, online. They put out a bunch of pictures of the final production version of this thing, and holy Toledo, this thing looks great. So it looks gorgeous. both Jake and I are in on getting copies of this thing, and I'm super excited about getting that. And the other cool thing is it's not going to be long now. That thing's coming soon. Right. Well, there was a little bit of controversy about the way that the box looked. Some people said it looked like a Willy Wonka bar. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. It kind of does. It's kind. They chose purple. <laughs> so in Pax Premier, it's... Afghanistan when the British were there in a colonization way, I think. What's the years around there? 1800s or something around those times? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, Plus or minus 100 years. And what you're doing is you are powerful nobles who are pushing different factions to try to win one of three different ways. I have played a PAX game, which I'm sure stands for something that we should probably know. But in gaming moguls fashions, we don't always research things that well. Do you know? I believe PAX in Latin means like a cross or something like that. It's sort of that, en- encompassing like the whole thing. That'll work. Like PAX Romana is like the whole Roman Empire. Oh, that so. makes sense. I played PAX Renaissance. Right. And I played that right. at, at Con of the North and it was meh. We'll see. Uh, this one looks fun. It's a pretty straightforward tableau builder where you get cards from a central market, play them in front of you, called a court, and that adds units to a game's map and grants access to additional actions that can be taken to disrupt other players and influence the course of the game. So what's cool about that is you also, in order to do well at this, you have to organize into coalitions. And so there's a high amount of player interactivity in this game. And I think that's one thing that we both really appreciate in any game. We like bugging each other in games. <laughs> right on. What's your number five, Jake? That's uh, by the way, that's PAX Premier by Cole Worley. My number five is New Frontiers by Tom Lehman. Tom Lehman's one of my favorite board game designers. He made 1846 and one of my favorite games, Roll for the Galaxy. And I believe he was involved with Race for the Galaxy as well. New Frontiers. So originally there was this game called Puerto Rico. Then they made a card version called San Juan. And then they wanted to make a deeper card version. So they made Race for the Galaxy, which is similar, but set in space. And then they made a dice game of that, which is called Roll for the Galaxy. And now they are making a board game based on Race and Roll for the Galaxy. So it should be somewhat similar to Puerto Rico, but a little bit newer, a little bit fresher, which seems interesting. It's up by Ali. So catch me up. Is this one currently available? I feel like it is. It is. I know people have played it and reviewed this. Okay. It's available. It keeps on popping up my pricing. I am on a board game spending freeze. This game will probably go to print and I'll have to spend $300 to get it. So that'll be me. Oh, that's hardly fair. You know, I realized as I was writing this out that a lot of this really looks like my backer list from (laughs) Kickstarter. When I look at the list thing that I'm looking forward to, my number four is one that I backed probably back in, oh, I don't know, mid fall, I think. It's a game that has some 18xx like tropes in that you're investing in stocks and growing businesses and so forth. But you're not doing it with the trope of trains. It's called The City of Big Shoulders by Raymond Chandler III and Parallel Board Games. This is something that was kickstarted back a few months ago. A little bit of controversy around it. And I think the publishers made some changes to it that satisfied everybody before putting it out there. Either way, maybe it's a a little bit of a love child between 18xx and Arkwright. I don't know. There's a print and play that's out right now, and I have a goal to actually try to get that done this spring so we can give it a shot prior to like the late 2019 delivery of City of Big Shoulders. Got it. 
Well, I'm excited to try it. I'm happy that you are actually describing all your Kickstarter list, because what that means is I didn't kickstart games and I forced you to. So that makes me really, really, really happy. This is kind of like bullying somebody in a private auction, isn't it? it? it that's that's just how it is. I'm sorry, Mark. It's just it's just how it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know, that's one of those games that was a bit of a calculated risk, but it's a theme and a style of game that we absolutely like. And it's one of those that, you know, is it going to be widely available? Are there going to be a ton of copies out there? So I, maybe there's some FOMO around this one. I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm looking forward to it. I'm always down to play. What's your number four, Jake? My number four is another game by Thomas Lehman, but it's actually an expansion this time. I'm talking about Roll for the Galaxy expansions. So recently there was a little bit of a news brief that came out that there's going to be a new expansion released for Roll for the Galaxy, which is one of my favorite games. If not, I think I gave it a 10 on BGG, a 10 or a 9. It's been played probably the most frequently of any game that I own, and I will always pull this down and play it with anybody. I already have the Ambition expansion, but what this expansion is going to do is it's going to be very expensive. I heard MSRP is going to be right around 60 to $80, somewhere around that range, more around 80 though. It's going to be three different modular expansions that you can click in with a bunch of different interesting things. I'm not going to go too deep into it, but it's more content for Roll for the Galaxy, which is one of my favorite games, so it's a win for me. It's an auto buy for me. Yeah. And I think from what I've heard is that even though it's expensive, it's also going to be huge, like literally like more than the original game huge. So it's going to massively amp up the size of that game. Right. And they had like special little uh, dice, the kind of dice that you craft or you stick the little sides into and you can customize them. It's going to be so cool, Mark. I cannot wait. So riddle me this on the crafting games thing. And this is one thing that... I've always sort of thrown a little bit of an eyebrow up at every time somebody talks about like dice crafting and putting custom dice sides on there. Why don't you just have a dice that literally has one through six and have a table that you fill out? Doesn't that make that whole system a little more elegant where it's like, hey, I got a four. It's a hit. Well, rather than trying to snap right. a face on well, it. Roll for the Galaxy. I always wondered about that. Roll for the Galaxy is already a pretty heads down game. I don't know if consulting charts every single time you roll a die makes it any better so <laughs> yeah that's fair and whatever that's i mean fair, but how's the, how how different is the pricing gonna be admittedly i've never played a dice crafting game me neither like what was it dice forge was one from yeah, last year so. or something yeah it just the whole system appeared clunky to me and i just thought there got to be a better way to do that one with just a lookup table or something like that yeah but i guess that's not as thematic yeah i don't know if it, yeah I, I don't know it's you're right it could be done that way, but let's say you have four or five dice doing that. Do you want to constantly check which each die is? And then, so no, then how many fair. tables do you have to have? And then how many colors do you have to have? And then what if you have too many dice so that you don't, you have to double up colors, which one's which? I don't know. I think you're just being a curmudgeon, Mark. No, I don't know. Embrace no, it's, the it's, future it's, of I, I Lego just... dice. Embrace the future. <laughs> no, I absolutely want to try this one. Don't, do not misunderstand me on that one. It's just that. It always just have seemed a little bit awkward, and I think I have to play it to see how it works out in real life. What's your next one, Mark? Cool. My next one's a bit of a departure from the kind of stuff we normally talk about here on The Gaming Moguls. We're Omnigamers. We like a lot of different things. And one of the things that I've done a lot in my life is play Dungeons & Dragons. Admittedly, I haven't done much of it recently, but... I still do enjoy a little role-playing game once in a while. And one of the things that I really tried to do last year at Gen Con was I tried to get in and play a session of the Expanse RPG. I missed it on the original signup because all of those sessions went out immediately. I managed to find out via Reddit or something like that, that they were opening up new sessions on like weird times, like really late Saturday night or really early Sunday morning, but there was spots available. So I signed up for a 7 a.m. Sunday morning slot at Gen Con to demo the Expanse RPG. 
The Expanse RPG, by the way, is based on the hit TV series and hit book series called The Expanse by James S.A. Corey. Uh, if you haven't read those or seen those, I think both Jake and I would give them just two solid thumbs up. Absolutely. They're just a great kind of, uh, I'd almost call it Game of Thrones in space. It's kind of high intrigue, near science fiction. And it's an ongoing series of books. They actually release one about every year. And man, they're so good. I know they're good. I do so, not endorse the TV show. I've tried to get into it, but I cannot. Oh, you were wrong on that I one. The TV show is awesome. I fully endorse the best sci-fi on TV. We're, we're not a sci-fi podcast, but if we were, I would argue about that for hours, years. Fair enough. I'll, I'll give you the first season was a little slow, but man, season three was incredible. So they have come out with an RPG based on this intellectual property. Smash cut to 7 a.m. I'm walking into the Gen Con hall, all excited to try this out. I get up to the room and there's the game master sitting there next to a darkened room looking completely lonely because nobody else is there. Oh, so sad. (laughs) I remember you texting (laughs) me after this like, oh, no, felt so bad for you. The guy was super nice. He ended up sitting and talking to me for like a half an hour and kind of talking me through what it was about. And uh, giving me, honestly, a pretty good sales pitch. And they gave me one of the books that they had for sale. It was a they had they had like an intro book to it that sort of went over the background and the little intro scenario. They just gave me one of those was kind of a hey, we're really sorry we couldn't run this thing. But uh, here, you know, take one of these and look through that. So that was pretty cool. I'm excited about it. I did end up backing the Expanse RPG and the full version of it is due to be released sometime in the next month or so. So coming soon and uh you know i don't know how we're gonna do it but i'd love to get a little campaign going in the expanse universe let's just add more things to our gaming schedule just see (laughs) i know it becomes preposterous right (laughs) absolutely i i would happily play that though i love the expanse world and just as you said it's kind of believable sci-fi if that makes sense there's not like faster than light stuff so it'd be really fun to rp role play One of the neat little hooks of this one that I thought was a neat twist on things is that their concept of how health and hit points work in space is completely different. The idea is that if you get shot in space, you're probably going to die. So the notion of even if you have a thousand hit points doesn't really matter. If you get shot in space, you're probably going to die. So what they did is they use luck as that finite thing instead of hit points. And you can actually burn luck through a bunch of other things. Like if you try doing a wacky, crazy maneuver, you actually roll against your luck. And if you don't make it, you burn up some of your luck. And when your luck runs out, you die. That's when you get hit or when you bunk your head or when you get sucked into vacuum or whatever other bad things happen to you in space. So I think that's a neat way of looking at it, that you can use that resource to help you do amazing things until it runs out. Got it. A little push your luck, if you will. Neat. I'm excited to try. Yeah, so that's The Expanse RPG by Chris Pramus and Green Ronin Publishing. Sounds good to me. My number three game was my top game of last year, 2018. It is Keyforge's next set. I don't actually know necessarily what the actual nomenclature is here, but the name of it is Age of Extension. So what they're doing here is they're adding new cards in with 166, I believe, cards from the first set of these games, the card pool. So it's going to be the same thing of unique decks for you to discover, learn and master. Don't really know much else about it. I'm probably going to buy a couple of decks. Um, This is good news to me because they are actually keeping up with making new decks and new cards and everything, which is what I want out of this. It does kind of bum me out because I don't think I've played this game enough to actually figure out whether or not all of my old decks are good or not. And I still have about eight of them. So I'm gonna have to figure out a way to either offload some of the bad ones or figure out something. Yeah, that's the interesting one to me is I know several people who have bought piles of these decks. They bought, you know, eight, 10 decks of the original batch of Keyforge stuff. 
which you, by the way, you can't get any place at this moment. And are people going to do that with the next set rotating in? Are they going to just say, hey, now we're going to get eight sets of this stuff, eight boxes of this stuff? I don't know. That's kind of a remains to be seen thing. The main thing that I'm waiting to see with this one is there's a little bit of buzz out there that perhaps some of these Keyforge decks aren't super well balanced. And the algorithm that creates the decks isn't super good at balancing decks. One thing I would really love to see them do is hopefully they've tweaked the algorithm a little bit in this next set that the decks are a little more consistent across the board and some are a little more competitive with the other ones. And right. I think that would be a real healthy thing for the whole environment. I agree. And I was planning on maybe proselytizing the good news of Keyforge more, but I actually haven't done that. I've only actually introduced you to it aside from people that were already basically interested into it. So maybe I'm just going to have to proclaim the goodness that is Keyforge. Sure. Well, that's one way to do it, I guess. Keyforge, Age of Ascension. Wait and see. I think I saw that that's going to be second quarter 2019. So, you know, April through June, sometime in there. Does that mean turning it out? What I am interested to see, are they going to republish anything from the first set? Or are they just calling it and just saying, well, never mind, going on to set number two? So I looked into it on Cool Stuff Inc. right now. You can pre-order the Call of the Archons base deck right now and it's supposed to release in february 2019 date subject to change that means it's not necessarily in their warehouses yet but it should be coming soon okay my guess is probably not my guess is they're probably gonna be done after this and they move on but so maybe it actually is it behooves me to hold on to some of these decks because they might be worth something down the line like magic sets once they come out with those they don't go back and reprint them once their print run is done it's on to the next set and away we go so maybe they're holding that model i don't know right maybe Well, it depends on the power creep, and it'll also probably depend on what cards are actually being continued on to these next one, because 166, which I think is roughly maybe half or a quarter, maybe a third-ish of the original card pool is going to be carried over. It's almost like kind of passing on. It'll be interesting. I don't play in tournaments, so I don't really know if this has some bad news for people who play tournaments, but I'm just excited for more Keyforge stuff. All right, so my number two... And I'm counting down. I'm counting down from number five to number one. My number two would be something that I got a chance to see in person also at Gen Con of last year. They were showing off early versions of it. And I've also seen pictures online that final production versions are having unboxes done of them. So I know this baby's coming soon. This is another Vita Lacerda Eno Tool Eagle Griffin game potential masterpiece called Escape Plan. So this is a heist game where everybody in the game has participated in a heist and everybody's trying to get out of the city. Based on what I've seen online and on the on the pictures of it, it looks easily on the same level as The Gallerist and Lisboa and Vinos and all the other collaborations with Eagle Griffin Games. So that right there, I'm super excited about. I love everything by Vito Lacerda. Yeah, I'm excited to try. I, they're beautiful games and I like some of his designs. So maybe this will be in the some of the games I like category. I think you will, Jake, because I think this one is going to be a little bit lighter than his other boxes. This one's going to be a little more straightforward, a little lighter, a little more accessible, a little higher paced in energy. So I, I think you may like this one. Cool. I'm excited to try it. What's your number two, Jake? My number two is another game that I had as one of my favorite games of 2018, and it's the second expansion to Root. So you had just described that you had already got the first expansion for Root, but as of today, a couple hours ago, Leader Games has announced that it is our pleasure to announce that our new Kickstarter for Root, the Underworld expansion, will begin on March 14th. Jake, we are treading dangerously close to news here. Be careful. I know. I know. We actually might add some value. No, no. We'll have to wait a couple of weeks before we release this one. So we're no longer applicable. 
<laughs> so what this one does is it adds two new factions to it. Um, it has the Corvid Conspiracy and the Great Underground Duchy. So it looks like crows and it looks like little underground moles. They look cute as a button and a couple of different boards and a new deck. So I might do this. I might actually do this as a way to get the whole thing. We'll see what pricing is and whether or not it's just worth it to buy the actual original thing. But I think you do want to, because the other thing that they're going to do with this one is they've now had a new printing of Root that has the in, that has included all of the rules update on the player board. For people like me oh. that have the first edition, uh, they made stickers. And if I want to include that, I got to sticker my board. So I think you want the new edition because it has all the updates on it. Yeah, I'll have to get it. It's just one of those games. Do I need it when you already have a copy and I'm pretty sure I can borrow you? Yeah, but I think this is one you may play without me being there. That's fair. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. If I don't get the expansion, you'll need to get the expansion. So we'll figure it out. We'll figure we'll be, it out. Time sure. will tell whether or not I'm actually going to kickstart it. Hopefully I can play all these games on my uh, to playlist, my shelf of shame, so we can actually start buying some games again. My number one is something that, again, is a bit of a flyer on there, but I just I love the look of it. And I love the theme of it because I've been there. I have this master theme of all these games of places that I've been before. And that includes like La Havre and it includes Yokohama. And there's a bunch of games that fit in that collection of mine. So when I saw new games that were going to fit into that and the design looks cool and the theme looks cool. And oh, hey, by the way, it's a heavy economic game. I'm in 100%. I'm talking about Tokyo Tsukiji Market by Jordan Draper. This Kickstarter just finished today, just a matter of a couple hours ago, successfully funded. We're back to no longer being news. Good. Yep. 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 <laughs> no. Yep. I know. Good. <laughs> All these Jordan Draper games look so cool. I mean, his the games he's coming out with are absolutely crazy. I did not end up backing like Tokyo Laundromat and uh, the Tokyo Game Show. I really, really, really wanted to because they look amazing and they look so funny and bizarre and unique. But are they really something I'm interested in playing? I don't know. Maybe I'll pick them up later on if they get good buzz. But I do know that I am going to want to play Tokyo Tsukiji Market, both in terms of the theme and the style of the game, where it's an open player-driven economy. There's a central market with limited resources. There's trading. And you only use a faction of those included markets each turn. So there's a huge amount of replayability every time. So that sounds like a great game. I'm also going to be ordering along with it a reprint of Tokyo Metro, which was his release from last year. And again, a theme I'm really bond with because I was just in Tokyo back in March and uh, fond memories of riding the Metro. So and I have some friends whose opinion I trust that absolutely love that game. So while I'm getting something shipped to me from Mr. Jordan Draper, hey, I'll get both of those. Works, works, works. I'm surprised you did that because the games are literally available right now. Tokyo Metro is oh, 100%. Yeah. I think you save five or 10 bucks, something along those lines, by getting it from him on this thing. It's mainly just because I'm not in a super big hurry on it. I'm aware I can go and order Tokyo Metro right now just off the shelf. I don't know. I'm not in a hurry. I got a lot of other games that I haven't played that I need to get played. I can wait a few months and save a few bucks. I I'm cool with that. Sounds good. I'm excited to try. Both those games are, from what I've read, more economic focused than his other stuff. And I'm interested to try. He's got a really good eye for design. And I'm excited to see what they actually play like. Tokyo Laundromat was just straight up a dexterity game. <laughs> Stacking laundry machines and trying to put things into washing machines without knocking the stack over. That's bizarre. Yeah, Jake, I know that there's a number one that's going to fill a hole in your life, your soul, and your heart. Please tell us what that is, Jake. Oh, I'm so excited, Mark. 
So this is actually one of the few games on my actual top five list, aside from 1850, that I actually have pre-ordered or purchased. So to paint a little background, three years ago, I believe, maybe a little shorter, maybe a little longer, um, I was reading on Reddit about this wonderful game called Food Shade Magnet. And so in Food Shade Magnet, it is a economic game about making burgers and selling beer and soda and stuff to different people. But the cool mechanism about it is you actually make an org chart for your organization. And so I was like, oh, that seems neat. And then I found a really ripping price for it. I believe I bought it for like 77 bucks, maybe even 70 yeah, that's a good deal for that. Which is unheard of for a splatter game. Yeah, in <laughs> shrink and everything. So this is a splatter game, which is a Dutch boutique publisher, and they do very limited print runs and their component quality is interesting, but we've complained about them before um, in our CR previous episode about upgrading their components. Yeah, anytime you get excited about buying another splatter game, I get excited because that gives us more content with you complaining about the print run quality on it. So... <laughs> So I don't know if I complain <laughs> about the print run quality. It's just their games aren't necessarily as usable as I'd probably like them to be out of the box, but they're a smaller publisher and the games are just awesome. Oh, yeah, they're 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 great games. Right. And so there's five splatter games that are considered the big five characteristics of splatter games. Just as a quick aside, are they're heavy games, but the rules are not that hard to digest. But the interaction and the gameplay and the depth and current of the gameplay is so deep. So I first started with food chain magnet. Then I pivoted into Indonesia, which is one of my favorite games, if not my favorite game. Then after that, I bought The Great Zimbabwe. Following that, I bought Antiquity. So I have four of the big five. The only one I'm missing is Roads and Boats. So a couple of weeks ago, Splatter posts a thing on their Facebook saying they're going to do pre-orders for Roads and Boats and a new expansion to Food Chain Magnet. So I did not pre-order the expansion to Food Shade Magnet because I don't think we've played it enough to necessarily... I think I've played it 10 or 12 times. I don't think I've played it enough. I've played it once. Yeah. We haven't played it as a group. It was before you and I was playing it pretty heavily. I haven't played it enough as a group to really think I've played it enough and played it out. No, for sure not. But I have never tried Roads and Boats, and it's one of the only big Splatter 5 games that I haven't owned or even played. And so you shoot me a text one night when I was debating if whether or not I was going to buy this game or not. And you pushed me over the ledge. I bought it. And a couple, probably too many dollars later, I have a pre-ordered copy of <laughs> Roads and Boats on my way. It'll be here oh, sometime soon. Turnabout is fair play, my friend. I am very excited. And my little cubby O splotter games will be f complete and happy. And we'll have them all, Mark. We'll have them all. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to looking at how you pimp them out to get them up to snuff to play. Right. Because these games are a really cheap games, so it's fine to spend even more money on top of it to uh, <laughs> be able to buy upgraded components. I'm kidding. The games are stupid expensive. They usually average about $100. So I'm going to probably spend a whole bunch of money upgrading this one, making it look pretty. That's my number one. Roads and Boats by Splatter Spellin'. Great choices. So on the topic of upgrading games... We talked a lot last week about game upgrades, and we hinted at the fact that that's only kind of half the picture on what upgrades you can do, because not only can you upgrade your games, you can upgrade your gaming experience and all the things around your games. This is the half of the episode that we talk about game upgrades that are outside of the box. These are all the gaming accessories that you have around you that you use while you game, and it makes your gaming experience better, but it's not something that you pack inside the box. It's not something that lives on your gaming shelf. These are things that you use for a whole bunch of games. So with that in mind, 
let's talk a few things about some of our favorite gaming upgrades that are outside of the box. Jake, what's your favorite gaming outside the box upgrade? So let's start with something that I've probably spent way too many man hours determining and figuring out the best solution for me. Sure. Poker chips. I recently, because we're so interested in financial based games, a lot of them come with paper money that is kind of assumed by the publisher you're not going to use and you're going to supply your own poker chips for it. They have to include it just on the off chance that somebody buys their game and doesn't own poker chips and wants to play it. They have to include something, but that's always the first thing that gets thrown away once you open a box so that has financial game and has paper money in it. Right. We don't need that. I keep them just in case for whatever reason I'm on a desert island. Or forgot my poker chips or they dissolved in acid or something. But I spent a lot of time trying to figure out poker chips for games. So in high school, there was a big or it's actually middle school, middle school. When I was growing up, there's a big poker trend. Do you remember that, Mark? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was yeah, huge. the mid 2000s. Mid 2000s mm-hmm. are huge. So I got this awesome set of poker chips that I thought were really cool. So we're at a buddy con up north and we're there with uh, my, my dad's there and he starts talking mad crap about my poker chips. And he's like, these are the really bad ones. Oh, these you got the, the cheap absolute, ones, Jake. Yeah, these are the ugly ones. Why would you have these? And they are really ugly, to be honest. <laughs> and so I don't know what happened, but it like flipped a switch in my brain that I need to fix my poker chips and get the best thing for me. So I was watching this from the sidelines. And literally, if you ever want to see Jake suddenly turn into needing to please daddy all at once. <laughs> That switch just got flipped and I watched it morph to Jake suddenly going on this mad fool's quest to get the ultimate poker chips so that his dad will be proud of him. Right. So then this is also paired with the fact that when I learned how to play 18xx, I played with unlabeled poker chips and the guy was kind enough to take a sheet of paper and write down, this is a one, this is a five, this is a 25, this is a hundred. That just still didn't jive with my brain. There was so much going on in the game. I couldn't say, okay, greens are 25s. Now that I've played so much 18xx, it's no big deal. But back in the day, I couldn't. So I was really frustrated about that. So I said, I'm always going to label my chips because I play with new players a lot. So those are my two things. I want to get really nice poker chips and I want to make sure that they're labeled. The other thing is I don't want them to look like card motifed themes. I don't want there to be a diamond, a heart, a spade and a club on it, for example. So I found the perfect chip for me, which is the mint chips. So if you search poker chips, M-I-N-T, they're kind of money themed. They got a little chrysanthemum, 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 chrysanthemum on the outside. And they are just money themed. But the other thing that I that I'd really prefer is I prefer 20 denominated poker chips instead of $25 denominated poker chips. So regrettably, the mint ones that I had did not have this option. So I was leading, looking at some blogs online and I stumbled upon an email for Chris at GearLabels.com, who kind of specializes in matching poker chip labels. And I shot him an email saying, hey, could you make me 20s for my mint poker chips? I bought a rack of unlabeled ones and I labeled them all up as 20s. So now I have a set of ones, fives, 20s, and 100s and 500s. I also have some 10s and 50s, but those don't normally get included in my distribution that I bring to games. If you ever want to see what they look like, check out our Instagram. They've been posted there before. So those are my big size poker chips that I have. What are your big size poker chips you have, Mark? Yeah, and you've got a great set of poker chips, so I love playing with yours for sure. And I went a little bit different route on those. I decided to go with bang for the buck, I guess we should say. I'm not trying to define my self-image by the quality of my poker chips. So No, it's it's it, I I am my poker chips, Mark. That's it. <laughs> my exact worth is based there. You would not believe how much effort Jake has put into poker chips over the past six months. Our it's conversations. Become, it's become pretty comic at this point. 
But to be fair, it's ended up in a great place and he's got a really cool set. My set is gratuitously speaking cheap, shall we say. But honestly, they're really nice. So what I decided to get was I decided to get a set that had bang for the buck. They're 13.5 gram chips that came with 300 pieces of them across all denominations and came in actually a really nice half-sized aluminum case, which is really nice and small, fits inside my gaming case really well that I transport games to. And this was on a closeout price, normally like $250. It was on sale for sub $50, including shipping. And that was such a good deal that I was willing to sort of look past the fact that eh, maybe these aren't the best looking chips on the planet. They're very white. And they just include colored bands. Yeah, they're white chips that have colored bands on them rather than being colored chips with off-colored bands on them. So it does sometimes get to be a little difficult to tell the difference between dark purple and dark blue because you're not really seeing a lot of that color chip on there. Regardless of the case, they feel nice. They're nice and heavy. They come in a great portable case that's about the right size for transporting. And, you know, for $50, including shipping... You can't go wrong. I didn't spend that much on them. So if there's ever a point that I do want to upgrade and get a really nice set, I'm not already out a whole bunch. I did upgrade a little bit by adding an extra sleeve of reds, an extra sleeve of greens. Uh, That would be fives and 25s and an extra sleeve of purples, which are 500s so that I could round out for just about any 18xx game I could come up with. I will say I do actually like the feel of your poker chips. I just don't necessarily like the way they look. They are denominated, which is good. The one thing is just they're just card themed i feel like i'm at a poker table which is okay i like poker but i'd rather not think of cards but that's just me i'm a weirdo yep for sure so my second solution is the one that has been recently putting a lot of effort into so mark and i kind of different design philosophies when it comes to not design philosophy just philosophies about bringing games to our game store i tried to be as light as possible because i don't want to schlep a whole bunch of games everywhere even though i just park in the parking lot of our game store i don't want to bring everything everywhere So I was trying to get a really small set of travel poker chips that I could just bring into and always have in my game bag for replacing economic games. So Mm -hmm. I originally found a set of unlabeled poker chips from discountpokershop.com. They're really small. They're about the size of like a quarter. They're thicker, but um, very, very pequeño, but they're unlabeled. So I bought a whole set of them thinking I was going to print out my own custom labels later. My mom and I had talked about like, every solution under the thing. I was going to stencil them. It was going to be such a waste of time. But then (laughs) later on, I was browsing some forums. I saw people using poker chips that are exactly what I want. They're very small, the same exact size, the ones that I have, but they're labeled. The colors are weird. So in America, most casinos follow the same color pattern or a generalized pattern of it. It's usually whites are one, fives are red, 25s are green, 50s are blue, and then 100s are black, and then 500s are purples. And that's usually pretty traditional along all casinos. These ones are the most random set of colors for everything possible, but they're denominated, and I didn't think that'd be an issue. So I started to research where to find them, and it turns out that they come in a copy of Texas Hold'em Monopoly. So I looked on Amazon, 25 bucks for that, wambo bambo, I quick order on it, and now I have them. And then I actually put these in a small 3D printed case from Fun Board Games on Etsy. And it is a nice little convenient little package that I can bring and always leave in my game bag. And I'm incredibly happy with it. And I think it's going to be good for you, Mark, because I'm going to give you all my small unlabeled poker chips. 
right they on be yours mark you'll have your own <laughs> travel case of unlabeled poker chips which are just the worst yeah i was amazed actually at the uh, texas holdemopoly poker chips on there they're amazingly nice for something that's essentially in a what was that a 20 dollar game or something that you bought yeah i think it was I think it was 30 plus shipping or maybe 25 plus shipping it wasn't expensive and what's also interesting is the Entire bank size of it is $12,000, which is roughly how much you need for most 18xx games. I think I might actually hold on to a couple of the small ones and add them in there as the thousands just so I can bump up the value of my bank in case I need it for certain 18xx games. But I'm going to try them tomorrow in uh, 18 Scandinavia and hopefully they'll work out really well. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm anxious to see. Oh, how that and works out. the final kicker. They are labeled with 20s instead of 25s. I don't know why, because that's not <laughs> traditional in, in poker, but. Hey, they did it. So heck yeah. That is a little bit strange, but sure. I also have a backup set of chips that I could push into service if I ever needed to. I don't tend to do this because I actually include them in the games that they came in. I have both copies of the new versions of Brass, Brass Lancashire and Brass Birmingham, and they both came with a set of Iron Clays. Iron Clays are a gaming themed set of chips that were included right along with the Kickstarter versions of Brass Lancashire and Brass Birmingham. And uh, they're very nice chips as well. They're good looking. They're nice weight, a little bit on the slippery side, maybe. But, you know, that's one that I could certainly pull out and use if I ever needed to push into another set. Yeah, absolutely. My only complaint with them is they're like really sad pastel colors. The, uh, like that at the is end true. of the day, they're, they're very faded. They're pastel. They're like dingy. I don't even know how to describe the colors. They're like really sad pastels. That's the only way I can word it. The other problem with them, too, is that it's a uh, somewhat abbreviated set. Like you wouldn't be able to have a very big bank with that. Right. But right. there are some games that it certainly would probably work with. I don't know, like North American Rails or I, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. There are probably some games that have a smaller bank that that would work along with just fine. So those are our poker chips that we have. Now, here's your favorite thing to talk about, Mark, and I'm excited to hear you talk about it. Oh, yeah. So my number one, we're kind of kind of like hitting the big high note right off the bat in the beginning of the song here. But that's OK, because I'm super excited to talk about my number one gaming accessory. And this is something that was a Father's Day present for my family last year, year before. Wow. Are you that good of a father? Wow. <laughs> well, it might have also crossed with the fact that we needed this anyway. But oh, got it. <laughs> I have been gaming for years on a really old, really paint stained, just ugly, very 80s looking table that has been passed along through my wife's family for years. And it was kind of bad, but we kept it around just because the kids could like paint on it. and We didn't really care. And when we'd play games, we'd clear it off and just play on top of that. Well, we decided it was time that the kids were old enough that we could get a nice table downstairs. So my wife said, Hey, you know, you've been talking about how you want a gaming table. So uh, happy Father's Day. And then I had this quick conversation like, hey, do you know how much those things cost? <laughs> uh, and as it turned out, she was blissfully unaware of how much they really did cost. So as I started looking at a lot of the different online options for board game tables, I realized that it's pretty expensive to get a nice one. I'm a very much DIY down to my soul kind of guy. So I started looking into, okay, buying one, probably not practical, you know, for the kind of game table and the size that I wanted and the features I wanted, it was going to be $5,000 or more. And it was going to take 
a year and a half, and there'd be $500 in tax and shipping on top of that. And so this was going to be a very long, very expensive proposition to have a game table shipped to me from one of the online manufacturers that makes game tables. I was actually able to sell the need for having a nice table down there and that at the end of the day, they aren't that much more expensive than getting a nice table for this space. And we needed a nice table for this space. Right. And it is. I can confirm. Oh, yeah. It is a very nice table for the space. So what I did is I started shopping around and finding local woodworkers in the Minneapolis area that could build me a custom game table. I drew a sketch of what I was looking for. I found a bunch of websites on different game tables that had features that I liked, for examples, and I just started calling around and trying to get quotes on what this would take. Well, what I ended up finding, I ended up finding a woodworker who had just moved to town and was highly recommended by another woodworker. I made sketches for him. He drew it all up and smash cut to literally six weeks later. The table was completed. It cost just over $3,000, which is expensive. But, you know, if you look at buying a nice five foot by seven foot table, you're going to spend that much for normal furniture. No problem, unless you're going to Ikea. But the fact is, I got it literally exactly what I wanted in six weeks. Delivered, done, made out of solid cherry and kind of heirloom grade furniture construction. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah, this thing weighs a ton. I was hoping I could get in the will for it. <laughs> yeah, it weighs a ton. I mean, it's very, very solidly built. So what I did, I made some design decisions on it. It's like I said, it's four and a half by seven feet. That's the space that I had to work with. It's about five feet once you include it, you know, all the way rail to rail. I went with six inch rails around the outside. I purposely did that so that I could have enough armrest space to lay my forearms on and it would be comfortable. And some of these with real thin rails are not comfortable to rest your arms on. And I didn't really want to put padding on the outside because you then you can't really put things on them without them tipping over. This is now usable space. So I can use the top of it and make over an even larger space once the tops are on it because I can go all the way edge of rail to edge of rail. Wait, Mark, we should pause real quick. For those of you at home who don't know what a board game table is, imagine any other table, but on the inside, there's maybe a three or four, five inch recessed area. There's a pit. Similar to like a craps table. Yeah, there's a pit that has neoprene in the bottom and you can usually put a cover over the top to actually cover it. So let's say you're in the middle of playing a game. Oh, it's dinner time. You put these different covers on and it's back to being a regular table. It's hidden in plain sight. But then when you actually want to play the game, you pop the little cover off and then yay, your game's again. Sorry. Right. Just thought we should at least take a quick side that, note yeah, to that's great. I inform the it. listeners about what it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. And when my tape, when my tops are on my table, it looks like a really nice cherry yeah, dining you, room table. You, you can't tell, tell it doesn't it doesn't look thick at all, which is amazing to me because there's such a deep playing area in there. I purposely went with a deep playing area inside in the pit because of the fact that I do sometimes have miniatures games out there that I want to leave set up. My kids, you know, being 10 and 12, do a lot of Lego. And that's the perfect place for them to do Lego kits because they can all stay down in the pit. Pieces don't get lost. And they can have things set up in there while I put the tops back on. So I purposely went with a deeper pit, which means that you do have to reach down in to play the game a little bit sometimes. But it's an easy trade off for me personally. Absolutely. The, the inside dimensions actually are the four and a half by six feet, I think. So there's more than enough space inside of there to play a large six player game. Like I designed it around being able to play Eclipse at six player or being able to play games like uh, Caverna at six player. Just something where there's six player mats and a lot of pieces and there's still enough room on there. 
that does get a little cozy inside the pit. If I play up on top, I get another six inches all the way around the outside, and that's more than enough space. So very large amounts of utility and flexibility around your gaming. Now, the surface that we're playing on, a lot of the pre-purchased gaming tables are embroidered and upholstered. I did not go with that one because the fact is that if that ever gets like something spilled on it or greasy fingers or Cheeto dust or whatever else, now you're reupholstering or trying to clean that dumb thing. I ended up going with a neoprene giant mouse mat, basically, that was cut to the exact size of the pit. And it works great. Feels great. A little on the squishy side, but it's okay. Man, it wasn't very expensive to do that. And if it ever no. gets kind of grubby, I can just throw it out and buy a new one. No big deal. Well, you can just vacuum it. Easy. <laughs> and I can vacuum it. Underneath that, I have a piece of plexiglass that's underneath there so that if I print and play 18xx maps or D&D maps, I put them underneath the plexiglass and I can just dry mark right on top of the plexi on whatever I need to. And then underneath that is just the uh, the base wood at the bottom. I have drink rails around the outside so that I can put movable trays on there so that you can put drinks or balance an iPad or keep pieces off to the side or whatever have you along the side. And it's really set up to be a great gaming experience for six players. So anyway, that's my quick testimonial on my ultimate gaming accessory, my custom made game table. And I can confirm for those of you at home, Mark, you should really post some photos of this because it's a beautiful piece of furniture. It looks really great in that room. It matches all your different wood fixtures that you have in your house. I I think it's just beautiful. And I'm going to try to maybe commission my own at some point in time when we get a house. But we live in a small apartment. I don't want to move a very expensive bit of furniture whenever we choose to buy a house at some point in time. I would really, really, really encourage anybody out there listening that's considering doing a game table. Absolutely look into having a custom one made. There are plenty of woodworkers around that love the challenge of doing this. The guy I work with had never heard of such a thing, but he thought it was super cool and really had fun building it. And it turned out to be significantly cheaper, like easily 30% cheaper than buying one from overseas, probably half the price even. And I had it almost instantly, like it took six weeks and I had it. So I would highly recommend looking at have one custom made. Right. And if you want more information that maybe would be better to talk about in another way, email Mark at Mark at Gaming Moguls. You have all the plans and stuff, right? And you can send some more photos out. Absolutely. Yeah. I will actually put a blog post on this thing up at GamingMoguls.com if anybody wants to see what Mark's ultimate board gaming table looks like. You blogger, you. I know. All right, so we hit the high notes. So here's the little bit less interesting things that we're going to talk about here, but, but still are just as important. Still <laughs> nifty. You can play a board game on any surface. It doesn't have to be a fancy board game table. But why don't we start with the first category of paper style upgrades? Yep. To start with that, Mark and I both own really cheap laminators from Amazon, which I asked for Christmas and my mom bought it for me. And she's like, why the heck do you want a laminator? And I was opening it up and I was really excited. And I explained to her that one of my favorite things to do in board games is whenever I buy a new board game, I go on Board Game Geek, check out the game page for it, and I scroll down to files. And usually five times out of six, there's a player aid there that's usually really helpful for teaching the game to new players. So every single time, do you do this too, Mark? Do you check out on Board Game Geek oh, yeah. to see if they have uh, files? Absolutely. Like we talked about in trying to get better at Board Game Geek, Definitely spend time looking at the file section on BoardGameGeek because there are so many great player aids on there or score sheets or replacement pads for whatever else that you can just print Roll out and write things laminate yeah. up. Yeah, for sure. I got the exactly the same reaction when I asked for a laminator for my family for a gift and they kind of went, well, OK, what are you going to do with that? All right. And I use that thing like crazy. I laminate all my 18xx print and play stuff. I laminate all my roll and write sheets as soon as I get them. Any score pad, I get a laminate right away. 
away. I've made name tags for all of our buddy cons so that everybody's got name tags as they're running around. And it's one of those tools that once you own them, you find a million ways to use it. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I even do it for my job in sales. I print out documents and I'll lose them if I theoretically would use them, but maybe it's just a specification or something. I'll laminate those and I keep them in a folder so I know that I'm not going to give it to the customer. And I'll say, I'll send you a soft copy later. They're awesome. Buy one of these. You're going to find a million ways to use it. It's cheap as heck. The replacement packs for the actual thing is it's it's awesome. It's it's so huge for games. I got the Scotch brand one and I, it, was, it was sub $30. It's not very expensive. Right. And the sleeves for it are like, you know, a hundred of them for $8 or something like that. They're pretty inexpensive. I usually will put a laminated player reference in almost every single game that I own. Yep. I've been less good about it recently, but I mean, that used to be my favorite thing. And then it's so helpful just to give someone something out to everybody so they can look at it and read it while you're teaching it works out really well. Yeah. And if you're going to go through the effort of laminating all these things, I would also heartily recommend going out and getting yourself a set of mini dry erase markers. The ones I like are by Quartet. They're currently on Amazon for $3.47 as an add-on. Oh, that's expensive, Mark. Set of six of them. They have little felt erasers in the cap and just keep a set in those right along in your gaming closet or in your gaming bag so that if you write on your little dry erase laminated thing that you can wipe them right off and you got a set with you everywhere you go. Right. Well, and there's a lot of games, too, that come with dry erasers, but those markers get crappy. I was at the bar this weekend and I had a copy of Telestrations to play with friends and of the eight pens that we had in there, four worked and oh, they barely good. worked. <laughs> so we tried to play one. It just didn't work. And I packed up the game. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. Pick yourself up a set of mini dry erase markers. One of the things that you can find online and get printed are player mats for p- specific games. One of them being Arkham Horror LCG. They made a very specific custom single player player mat that can be printed on websites like Inked Gaming. And it gives you a spot to put all these cards that you normally would have to kind of mentally remember where they're supposed to be. Like, for example, what's in each hand in this? It actually shows a spot to put all the things you have in your hands. Also, for other games, one of my personal favorites Blood Bowl Team Manager, the card game on Board Game Geek. There's a file for a big table mat that you can put out and print, and it has spots for each one of the matchup phases and where everything's supposed to go. And it just really can help bling your game and take it to the next level. So custom play mats from BGG are pretty cool. Or pardon me, the files from BGG being printed on companies by like Inked Gaming is the one I've used before. And it works out really well. I think it's cool. That is really cool. I would say one of the mats that I own, not super useful or super necessary in any way, shape or form. When I kickstarted Mint Delivery, I for some reason thought that the package with the neoprene play mat would be useful. You need it. And then I realized how stupid that was for a game that comes in a box that's, you know, two inches by three inches by one inch. Right. Because let's make this really transportable game no longer transportable. That's what you yeah. want out of a game. <laughs> it's beautiful. But yeah, I still have never used that thing. So, oh, well. And our final thing, bring it home, Mark. There are some games out there that have a lot of little bits in them. And if you've got one of those games with lots of little bits and you don't happen to have an organizer inbox that helps you arrange those little tiny bits, you need things to put your bits in. And we played La Havre recently. And let me tell you, La Havre got a lot of little bits to it. All those little tiny tokens for fish and brick and Coke and all of the other things that you make in La Havre. Those have to go in something. And the some things that they went in the first time we put it into were the board game geek bit bowls. These were a little accessory that Jake picked up, and I wish I would have picked up, back at Gen Con at the Board Game Geek booth. Tell us a little bit more about them, Jake. 
since you are actually right. the owner of them. Right. So that trip that we talked about in the last episode where we st- swung by the Board Game Geek booth and we both spent too much money. This is one of the things I spent too much money on. They are silicone square, three inch by three inch little flat things in a whole bunch of different colors. I bought all the colors because I'm an idiot and I hate money. And what you can do is they actually snap in each corner, not snap. They more, what's it called? Tongue and groove. They pinch in the corner and they they snap. Yeah, they, yeah, they, lay, snap. Flat. they, snap. they lay flat when they're not together and they snap. Right. Together. But then you snap each corner to each other and to itself. And it helps make this little bit bowl. So it packs away because they're each nice little flat little things. And I'm put them all in my game bag and they constantly live there so that whenever I come to games, I can set these up for specific games. Now I always forget to bring them out because I'm a silly boy who forgets things, but I would like to use them more and they're incredibly useful for traveling. The other thing I've seen people do here is use small glass bowls. If you look on Amazon and search like four ounce or maybe even smaller bowls, you can buy a whole bunch of them for really cheap. The only issue for us is we're constantly going to the game store. If they're going to break, the Board Game Geek Bit Bowls, which are available on Board Game Geek Store, just search Board Game Geek Bit Bowls. You'll find them. Don't break because they're little silicone mats. They're great. And they come in two different sizes. I wouldn't recommend getting all the colors, but maybe five of each would be more than enough to be able to do for every game. You know, I think your primary colors are probably going to have the most utility. Getting yellow, red, green, blue, black, purple, white. Yeah, that's plenty. That's well, probably going to work is, for most things. We always have the colors match. There's no need for the colors to no, actually match. No, the that's true. It just looks better for Instagram. Having said that, it is nice having the colors match. I know. I agree. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm happy I well, bought it. Case in point with Lahav, you know, if we were looking for the yellow corn tokens, they were in the yellow bowl and it was wheat. super easy to find them. Just we got to keep our wheat. It yes. was wheat. Yep, mark. yep. You're right. You it go. was wheat, not corn. They were in the yellow bowl and super easy to find across the room. So. Uh, you know, having a set of matching color ones was actually pretty useful in that case. There you go. What's our final thing that contains things, Mark? I know you were the first person to buy these. <laughs> yeah, and um, I originally saw these online, but as you play 18xx, there's a whole bunch of hex tiles that represent all the track parts that you're going to be putting out on the board over the course of the game. And if you don't have a way of arranging those and passing them around... You end up just spreading them out on the table and it takes up so much space that if some poor bugger is on the wrong side of the table, they have to walk around the table just to look at what track parts are available. What I've found is that for about $15, you can get a set of half a dozen padded jewelry trays. These are, oh, I'd say they're probably nine inch by 18 inch, 15, somewhere in there trays that have probably 24 wells in it. Each about the perfect size to take several hexes in there. So what you do is you put all the yellow hexes in one tray. All the green hexes in another, all the brown hexes in the last one, and gray in the final one. And literally, you can just pass these trays around. They're super lightweight. They all stack together and take up zero room and just really handy for any game that has a whole bunch of little hexes. Right. We both have a set of four. Yep. I like them yep. a lot. They're they're invaluable for 18xx games. Yep. I would say I would agree with you completely. Basically mandatory for playing those things. That wraps up our look back at all of the different accessories that you can bling out your gaming experience with and just improve what you're doing along with the game, both inside and outside the box. That was wonderful, Mark. I appreciated talking with you. Two longer episodes, which is fun. That was great. Yeah, we deep dove on both of these things. You cannot expect this out of us every week because we're going to go back to that promise we made about being an hour, aren't we? (laughs) Aren't we? Hopefully. Yeah, we will. We will. We will. 
Fantastic. Well, with that, in order to not make it any longer than it already is, we're going to wrap her up and we're going to say goodnight. So with that, we're the Gaming Moguls. I'm Mark Teske. And I'm Jake Klaffenstein. Good night. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klaffenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.